Today's podcast is all about raising money from investors for your next project. This is podcast episode number 48. Thank you very much for listening. And I look forward to helping you if you're looking to raise money for your very next project. Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Whether we like it or not, when we start to invest in property and when we start to think about HMOs in particular, the subject that starts with an M comes to mind. Yes, it's money. (laughs) And it doesn't matter how much we might try and veer away from it or stay apart from it. You can't help it. Money is integral to your ability to push forward on your projects. One of the aspects of HMOs that I absolutely love is the fact that you don't need many projects to create financial freedom. And if you're looking to get out of your job or you're looking to create another source of income, it doesn't take many more than just a handful of HMOs to be able to do this. And that's why I personally think they're a really powerful strategy. And as we know, there are many, many different strategies out there. So it might be that you're doing HMOs just as a means to an end, but actually, you know, your heart, your passion is in particular, uh, you know, particular different uh, strategy, which is absolutely fine. However, whatever your strategy, whatever your chosen strategy, it's very likely that at some point you will run out of money. And unless you are very cautious and very careful and don't go all in, um, you will find that at one day you'll look at your bank account balance and go, yikes, I haven't got enough. It's not going to go far enough to either purchase this very next property or to secure it if you're doing, for example, a rent to rent or a lease option or to complete the refurb project. So today I've got some really good news for you. I'm going to run through the four C's that I always use when I'm raising money from investors. And this will help you if you are in that category of beginning to realize that at some point you're going to run out of your own money. What can you do to secure money from other people to invest in your next HMO project? If I go back a few years, um, I realized that uh, at the time it seemed like a disaster when I finally did not have any more money to invest in my next HMO project. And at the time, I felt really despondent. I felt like I'd hit a brick wall. I felt like I just couldn't carry on because how was I going to carry on investing if I'd run out of cash to invest with? And the two HMOs that I had at that stage were cash flowing, but I hadn't refinanced them. So I didn't have any chunks of money that I could then use to secure a new project. So I felt totally stuck. And of course, when you feel like that, it really kind of reduces your energy. You don't want to do viewings. You stop being connected with estate agents. You stop doing marketing. You kind of fall into this bit of a slump. At least that's how I felt. And that's exactly what happened to me. But, you know, later on, when I look back, I realized that it was when I ran out of money that my learning truly began. Because as an investor, it's really easy if you've got your own pot of cash to invest with. It's really easy to do it. You don't have to rely on anybody else. You don't have to develop your skills in terms of raising finance. You don't have to understand some of the FCA guidelines. You don't have to worry about any of that because you just use your own money. But actually, as an investor, 
one of the key lessons I think we have to learn is how do we raise money from other people? Any business that has grown to have a net book value will have probably had founders who have had to go out and raise finance at some point, whether that's through angel investing or um, peer-to-peer funding or crowdfunding. At some point, they've had to put their business on the line and say, right, I've got to raise more capital to be able to reinvest in my business and to grow my business. So this in itself is a very good process for you as a business owner to learn what floats other people's boats, what gets other people excited about what you're doing. And there is an element of sales to this, there's an element of marketing to this, but there's also an element of clarity. And I think that internal clarity about who you are and what you do and why somebody else might be interested is very important. Because what it does is it allows you to really position yourself in the market and then you can go and get the funding that you need. Now, I was quite fortunate because at the time when I ran out of all of the money I had to invest with and I found myself completely at that dead end, at that that brick wall, I decided to go on a three-day property networking course and it was brilliant. I loved it. It was a really, really good three days away. I learned about lots of different strategies that I didn't really know much about. Um, I did more in-depth training and learning about other strategies that I hadn't focused on and I also improved my knowledge about HMOs. And I really believe it's very important to educate yourself when it comes to property because there are lots of pitfalls and there's risks. But it was at that three-day event that I met somebody who later became my business partner. And it was through working with him that I learned a lot about how to raise finance. Now, since that date, I've raised over £5 million of finance for my property portfolio. And this has been a mixture of uh, private finance. Some of it's been bank finance. Some of it has been um, lent through um, uh, corporations. Um, various different means and methods that I've used in order to build up my property portfolio. And certainly on that journey, I've had some failures. I've said some things that perhaps I shouldn't have said or done some things that I shouldn't have done and realized that this is a learning process. So you won't necessarily get it right first time. But now I actually find raising finance much, much easier than I did back then. Partly that's because I have a system, I have a process that I follow, Um, but also I think because I understand the mindset of somebody who wants to lend me money and I figured out what it is that, uh, you know, I can, I can do to help them and therefore what they can do to help me. So what are those, those four things that you can adopt today to help you if you're looking to raise finance from um, another individual? Well, there are lots of different structures, of course, that you can use. And uh, this is the first consideration is how is that individual going to lend you the money for your project? Is it going to be a cash loan or are you going to do a joint venture? Now, to start with, I borrowed money from family and friends. And by far, that is the easiest way to do it. Because the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, have rules which uh, determine the safety or the riskiness of a of, of a 
kind of agreement that you might have with a lender, uh, with an individual. The FCA are very clear that the best type of person to borrow money from, if you don't already know them, is a high net worth or sophisticated investor. And uh, you can go onto the FCA website and they'll, they'll explain to you exactly what those different categories are. Now, assuming that you have got family and friends who've got some pots of money in the bank that maybe aren't giving them much of a return, they're often the very first kinds of people to be approaching. And certainly it's much easier with family and friends where you've already got a trust relationship. They perhaps can already see what you're trying to do. They have belief in you as an individual and they will forgive minor mistakes that you make. So if you get things a little bit wrong, if you tell them something that maybe doesn't quite work out, family and friends are often very forgiving and they will say, oh, you know, as long as you give me a return and you can return the money to me in three years time, you know, here's £20,000, here's £30,000. And that's how I got started. I I borrowed £30,000 and I gave my investor a return based on the capital and the repayment, the interest. So every month I gave them a, um, a fixed rate of return and I repaid some of the capital. And after five years, that money was paid off. And in fact, they wanted to lend me the money again. <laughs> and you'll, you'll sometimes find that, that your investors, once they get their money back, don't know what to do with it. And they want to lend it to you all over again. So don't be surprised if that happens. But once you've exhausted your family and friends, then you may have to start to formalize uh, other relationships, which you these people you won't know so well. And a key characteristic these days of um, raising finance legally and ethically is to know your customer. It's, it's uh, in banking terms, it's, a, it's a knowing your customer. And what this means is that you will be working with people who are high net worth um, or sophisticated. Now, sophisticated investor is generally somebody who earns over £100,000 per annum or has invested in an unregulated product in the last year. Um, If they are high net worth, they will have a net worth of over £250,000 and that mustn't include pension or their own own property that they live in, the residential property. If you're going to find those people and there are plenty of those people around, plenty of those people around, then it's very important, of course, that you do your due diligence and get some uh, signed authorization from that person so they declare that they are one of those types of individual. Now, why this is important is because you want to protect yourself against any charges of fraud or misconduct or a culpability. Cannot take you to to court to say, hold on a minute, um, I didn't know what I was getting into. And that's why the FCA rules are there, is to protect you and to protect your investor. Now, Assuming that your investor is a high net worth or a sophisticated investor, this means you can borrow money from them to do projects. And uh, this, of course, can be very lucrative for both of you, particularly if you are giving them a fixed rate of return. Now, it could be that your investor actually wants to do a joint venture with you. This is actually a much more secure way of doing a business with somebody you don't know terrifically well. Um, Although, of course, you do really want to get to know them before you start to form a joint venture with them. But the point is that doing it within a limited company, uh, what you might call an SPV, a special purpose vehicle, allows you both to take a share of the risk and the responsibility 
And this is actually a way in which you can work with people who are not high net worth or sophisticated because it means that you both are directors, you're both shareholders of that limited company, you both take responsibility for running the limited company and any property that you buy together is held within that limited company. So you're you're both 50-50 in charge. Whether or not the, the whole of the money comes from your investor uh, or where you're getting the money from, ultimately that is not significant because ultimately having 50-50 shareholding and directorship of that SPV, that limited company, means you're both responsible. You, you both take a share in managing the money and managing the finance. Now, it could be, as was uh, in the case of, of my situation, that I set up a limited company with uh, this investor and he put in all the finance. So he was effectively seed funding that business and putting in the initial capital. And I was sourcing, project managing, finding the tenants and managing the HMO. Now, as a business, we did six projects together and it was very successful. And uh, at the end of it, you know, we had a really good portfolio of properties. There was some money left in the business, which we equalized. So we, 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 we made sure that we normalized how much of the investor's money was left in and how, and, and I left, I put some of my money in um, to normalize, to equalize that partnership. But it might be that that's not possible for you. And it might be that after doing a few projects, um, the, the, there is, a, there is a, an imbalance in terms of how much director funding is left in the business. Well, of course, there are always ways to rebalance that, whether that is the repayment of that imbalance through an additional um, interest cost that you might pay to your investor um, or from the profit of your business, you might pay the investor a little bit more money back um, because of the effectively the loan that they've made into the company. In terms of shareholders, you have to receive equal amounts of dividends for your share. So it can't be done through the, the dividend route. Um, but there are other ways in which you can you can equalize that or normalize it. So let's assume you've got your, your structure right. You know exactly whether this person is going to be a cash investor or you're forming a joint venture with them. But whatever structure you're using, whatever method you're using to effectively borrow that money and then fund your project, there are still four key elements that you need to be aware of when you are working with investors. And what I found is that people who ignore one of these four elements tend to get a bit more into a sticky situation. Um, and it could be that either they fall out with their investor or their joint venture partner. It could be that they miss out a key ingredient of that uh, the project. Um, and 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 what it, what it often means is at the end of the project, uh, either the finances haven't quite worked out right, or there's misunderstanding, or there's misinterpretation, and it can cause a huge amount of stress and strife. So these are really my four key tips, my four key areas for making sure that you don't fall into that trap and making sure that when you're raising money for your next project, that you know what those four steps are so that you can make sure you dot the I's and cross the T's. So number one, what are joint venture partners or what are investors looking for? Commitment. 
It's amazing to me how many times I hear people talk about raising finance from other people, but they're really not sure what they're doing this for. They don't really have an end in mind. And if you've read the book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, who's the author, says, begin with the end in mind. You need to be committed to making this happen. You need to be committed to helping your joint venture partner or your investor make money from their money. So knowing the model, knowing the, 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 the money, the money side of it, how much money is due to be made, the length of time for the project, the, um, the knowledge about how you can turn money from uh, one uh, mechanism, i.e. cash, into capital, into refinance and pull it out at the other end. You have to demonstrate commitment. And without that, the investor is not going to want to work with you because they will sense that you are not committed to this. And you have to be committed to this, I believe, really from uh, an ethical point of view as well as a pragmatic point of view. And what I mean by that is, are you committed to really helping the investor make money from what they put into the partnership? Uh, are you going to treat their money as if it's your own? In fact, are you going to treat their money more than if it's your own? Are you going to really take care of it? Are you going to be responsible for it? These are key considerations as you go into that partnership. The next thing is C for communication. So we've got C for commitment. The next C is C for communication. I always think it's really good to have a communication strategy. So what that might mean is that once a week you you get on the phone or once a fortnight you have a Zoom call, uh, you know, or you, you exchange text messages. There's got to be a method by which you communicate with your investor. And sometimes at the beginning of a relationship, um, this can be a little bit tricky because you're not quite sure how fast they want to go. It's a bit like any relationship, isn't it? How quickly do you want to proceed to the next step? And I think it's a really good question to ask the person that you're speaking to, to ask your potential investor, what's the logical next step? Do you want me to give you a ring in another week? Shall I drop you an email? Shall we catch up again in a fortnight? Often investors need time to consider what you've been talking about. They need to have time to consider the proposal that you might be offering. They perhaps need to go and speak to their partner about it, or they need to go and examine what other opportunities are out there. And once they've done that, they may be ready to come back to you. But there's an element in which you also have to try and keep momentum going in that relationship and pushing it to the next step. Now, this is, again, one of those areas which is, um, if you like, nonverbal very often because uh, it, it's, it's a subconscious mechanism that you're tapping into to help them to push forward and make a decision. Um, but you don't want to do it too slowly and you don't want to do it too quickly because either of those can have ramifications. So this is going to be about you using your intuition, your gut instinct about how quickly the investor wants to invest and equally how quickly you're ready to receive their cash. And in fact, do you have a project ready to go such that if they had the cash tomorrow, you could plug it in and go. So communication, have a strategy for communicating with that investor. And even if they say to you, oh, yeah, let's come back to this in a few months time. That's fine. You don't have to push all relationships at the same speed. 
And I know that with some investors, they can take a year before they decide what they want to do with their finances. It's take, it takes them a whole year to feel the pain of getting 0.000% interest in the bank. And after having had a couple of bank statements, realizing they're losing money in the bank, that's when they maybe think, yeah, actually, I've got to speak to you again. Wendy, I need to have a call because my money's losing value and I really want to plug it into some of your projects. So agreeing on a communication strategy is the second step in this process. The third C is having a clear purpose. In other words, what kind of project are you going to be putting the money into? Now, if somebody is going to be lending you cash, to a certain degree, it doesn't really matter what the project is because you should be giving them a risk-free return. If someone is giving you cash for a project, it's important that the return is not based on the risk of the project. So in other words, their return is, is divorced from how successful the project is. So you're not going to say to them, well, if I make 20% return on investment, you can have 15. But if I only make 10, you'll only get five. No. When it's a cash investment, you need to lay it out beforehand exactly what the steps are for them to be able to get their money back and what the interest rate is. Now, if it's a joint venture, then you both share the risk and the return. So if you make 30% return on investment, you both get 15% return on investment because you'll be sharing it 50-50. So having a clear purpose relies on a couple of things. Number one, I'd always recommend that you do a proper deal analysis. You, you, you have to have a tool that will allow you to analyze the deal in depth because that way you can give a very clear example of a potential project to your investor and demonstrate that you know what the purpose is of this project. Are you, for example, going to be uh, doing a flip? Are you going to be buying, refurbishing and holding? Are you going to be buying, refurbishing and refinancing? Uh, these different approaches, these different strategies need to have a written purpose behind them so that you can measure and track the performance. And then the fourth C, we've had commitment, communication, clear purpose. The fourth C is clarity of entry and exit. Now, this is really probably the easiest of the four because it's simply when do you need the money by? In fact, do you need all the money up front at the beginning of the project? Probably not. You, you're going to need some money when it comes to buying the, the, the property. And when are you going to exit that project? In other words, when are you going to pay the investor back their finance? And the clarity that you have on this will be determined by a project plan. And uh, if you're doing a refurb project, then I'd recommend that you have a really clear project plan to plan all those steps out. And that will then enable you to understand how long the project will take, how long the refinance is likely to take at the end, and when you can pay your investor back. One tip here, don't overpromise and underdeliver. Uh, too often people can get into a bit of a muddle when they promise to return the money within six months, for example, or nine months, which for HMOs is a little bit of a tight deadline. 
HMOs typically can take between three to six months to refurbish and the refinance can take anything from three months to six months as well. So give yourself a bit more time than you really need in order to give yourself a bit of elasticity there. And that clarity of entry and exit will really then um, show to your investor that you've thought through the timescales, you've thought through the timelines. So those four C's again are commitment, communication, clear purpose, and clarity of entry and exit. Now, I think if you master each of these steps, what you'll find is you will start to get much more interest from investors because you yourself will have more clarity about the process you're using to work with those investors. You'll also understand what they're looking for more and you can ask more relevant questions about whether they actually are right for you. Uh, you know, it isn't just a case of kind of taking anybody's money who comes along. This is not what we're here to do is to just take anybody's money. You've got to check out that that investor is the right person for you and make sure that the partnership works well for both of you. So I hope that these tips uh, have, are going to help you raise more finance. And uh, remember that this is about a relationship. Ultimately, anybody who buys anything from anybody else or invests with anybody else is buying into a relationship. They want to know, like and trust you. And anybody who raises finance from somebody else, it's because somebody else knows, likes and trusts them. So make sure that you are building that relationship. Even if you don't get the money exactly when you need it from investor A, it might be that you can, you can get the money from investor B. But in six months time, investor A comes back and says, actually, Wendy, I'm ready now to invest with you. So these relationships are long term. They're not short term relationships. They're, one to, they're ones to nurture. They're ones to grow. But imagine just how effective and powerful it is when like a tap, you can turn on finance. Whenever you have a, a project which is shovel ready, ready to go, ideal to produce into a cash flowing HMO that you never have to worry about having the money to be able to secure that project ever again. And I think if you master these tips, you will be able to be a fascination for people who have finance and they will want to work with you. And you'll find that you have a tap that you can turn on at will to do any project that you choose. Here's to your success. I'll speak to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.